five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, in a couple of weeks, we were going to do the the defensive depth chart breakdown, way too early breakdown, and, you know, some things came up. We're still trying to figure out whether we're going to stream this live on YouTube, and if so, when are we going to do it? And it's just there's so many different things we got to get cleared. But with the coordinator hires that happened over the weekend, we knew we had to hop on here. We didn't have a choice. And so that's what we're doing here. Alabama hires Tommy Reese as its new offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien replacement. And then on defense, which was announced yesterday on Sunday, we got the news that uh, not Jeremy Pruitt, but another former Alabama uh, defensive coordinator and Kevin still would be replacing Pete Golding. So first of all, how are you doing on this Monday morning? And secondly, you know, how do you feel about the hires? Well, I'm doing great. Uh, it's, it's good to, to move on. I feel like now that, the staff is largely in place. We'll see there, there could be one or, or, or more moves left because there's not a clear safeties coach on that defensive roster right now. Uh, Kevin Steele has coached DBs in his past. So it's something that's not a hundred percent foreign to him. In the uh, 80s. Yeah, it was a while back. Uh, but you know, it, it also makes some level of sense that Kevin Steele will be the inside linebacker coach. Uh, but you just hired Austin Armstrong and he who has no experience coaching any position but inside or outside linebacker, and then you still have Coleman Hutzler. So let, let's see what happens there. I don't know. So maybe the staff's not complete, but we do have 10 assistants uh, right now, which is a full staff, as, again, as we record this. So um, I feel like now that the staff's in place and uh, we understand from Andrew Bone and Joseph Hastings that there won't be any additional players signed out of the portal prior to spring practice. So I sort of feel like spring practice is set now. And uh, and then you look at the calendar, Clint, and it's only probably right at six weeks until we start spring practice. So that'll, that'll be here really soon. So in terms of how I feel about the coordinators, first off, I think both were good hires. Uh, I'm not going to uh, just a pump sunshine and, and say, these are the, the greatest hires of all time, or look at this level of genius. It's unbelievable. Uh, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that they're very good hires. It's one was the Notre Dame offensive coordinator. The other one was a Miami hurricane defensive coordinator. It's not like you uh, took these guys uh, out off of the unemployment lines. I mean, these, these guys were at high quality programs and both have outstanding reputations. Uh, Nick Saban told us, Clint, uh, we talked about it here on the Bama on three show several times. Nick Saban told us in December what he was looking for uh, in his new offensive coordinator he said his own words on this coach's show, uh, post Bryce, I want to get back to running the football. I, I want to run some RPOs, some real RPOs. We didn't really run real RPOs with Bryce because Bryce was no run threat at all. Uh, or an RPO under Bryce was really just his own read where he was going to hand it off or throw it. But uh, Nick wants to run some, some real RPOs and get back to a run game. And I think we all agree that what Nick really wants and, and what I think most of us want is, is a return to some physicality on offense. So he told us that in November. And then who did he hire? He hired an offense coordinator who runs the ball, who runs the ball, multiple tight ends, who runs RPOs. Uh, and, and, and he's a good mix of modern offense, which is the RPO and sort of old school in the sense that Tommy Reese has a real, um, 
uh, a real commitment to physicality on the offensive side. And defensively, while Nick Saban didn't tell us what he was going to do, Nick Saban did what he has done every single defensive coordinator hired at Alabama. Every one of them. He has hired a defensive coordinator who has experience in Nick Saban's defensive system and his scheme. Uh, he hired Kevin Steele, who had worked for him in the past. Uh, he hired uh, Kirby Smart, who had worked for him in the past. He'd hired Jeremy Pruitt, who had worked for him in the past. He hired Pete Golding, who had only worked for him for one year, but had worked for him in the past. And now he's hired Kevin Steele again. Uh, it, this, In retrospect, uh, this should have almost been the obvious choice in terms of, hey, if things don't work out with Jeremy Pruitt, then Kevin Steele. I, I think in retrospect, this was sort of obvious dependent upon whether Kevin Steele would accept the job or not, because he had a pretty good one where he was at. And obviously he did. Uh, and we'll talk about that a, a little later too. But overall, I say both are good to very good hires uh, and shouldn't be surprises based on Nick Saban's comments on his coaches show and then his pattern of hiring defensive coordinators. Yeah, I think it's getting back. We've talked about it being returning to the old Alabama. And I think that to a certain degree, that's true. I think it's recapturing that identity of when we need to run the football, we're able to run the football. First and foremost, it's stopping the run. It's forcing offenses to be one-dimensional. Now, granted, that might play right into their hand offensively and what they want to do. Maybe they're a team that doesn't run the football very well. Maybe it's Mississippi State where they throw the football a ton, or at least they did under Mike Leach and they don't really even attempt to run the football very much. But yet, the way that Alabama attacked Mississippi State's offense when they played, it was daring them to kind of run the football. And Mississippi State was trying to get out of what they typically like to do. They were running the ball a lot early, trying to run Alabama out of the way that they were scheming them defensively, and so they could really open things up and, and operate their offense as they normally would. And Alabama refused to do it. They said, we'll give you the, 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 the small yardage, you know, the five, six yard carries and things like that. We're not going to let you, you know, slice and dice like you would typically want to do. But my point here is that Alabama wants to be able to force offenses to be one dimensional. And because of their regression, as far as their defensive front and their ability to stop the run, the pass is always going to be there in today's college football period. Um, I mean, you can have Georgia's defense. Alabama still in the SEC championship had a tremendous amount of success against them. You can stop those offenses in, in you know, singular games. And I'm talking about overall. You know, if you were to play 10 of them, I mean, seven, eight, maybe even nine of them are going to have success against your defense. So really, it's like you don't want the Tennessee game, which is not only can we not stop their pass, but they also keep, you know, have, they also have the ability to run the football as well. And now it's just, it's a, it's all a numbers game. Like, what are you doing in the box? How many guys are you putting in the box pre-snap? And regardless of, of what the look was supposed to be, they count your numbers and they say, okay, we're running the football based off of this number in the box. We're throwing the football based off of this number. And there's really no way you can win. So you got to get those guys up front where you don't have to commit as much to the run game and stopping the run that will help you with the pass. It will complement that. And I think that that's something that Kevin's still certainly going to help with. So I know a lot of people's asked me, and really I'm not overly familiar with the situation, so I'll, I'll kick it to you and see if you know. Um, obviously, you know, Kevin Steele was the, the defensive coordinator in 2007, and then from 2000 and what, I guess it was the next season, 2008, he got what many would view as a demotion to linebackers coach. What was the reasoning behind that? 
Uh, I don't really recall so much as it, it, it almost felt at the time, um, my recollection is almost like a promotion for Kirby Smart and not so much a, boy, Kevin Steele didn't do a good job because Alabama's personnel in 2007 wasn't what we've become accustomed to under Nick Saban later. It's not like Nick, Kevin Steele had a ton to work with in 07 uh, and everything was new, but it really felt more like th that was about Kirby Smart and not so much about Kevin Steele. And I think in retrospect, we now can see that, that Kirby was just an exceptionally talented guy when it, when it, when it came to this sort of stuff. Uh, also, Kevin Steele, this is what a lot of people don't know, it's true. Kevin Steele was sort of Saban's right-hand man and he had a lot of duties beyond just defensive coordinator. And I think that really what happened was Kevin Steele was so busy doing so much stuff for Nick Saban, you know, all, all the stuff that, that Saban is required to do but didn't have time for in his day, Kevin Steele did that. It was, it was really an associate head coach, literally. Uh, and and, and I, that's kind of how I remember it. It was a while back, but again, I think it was those two things. Kevin Steele being very busy with being Nick's right-hand man, uh, along with a promotion of, of, of Kirby Smart, who was clearly, you know, I don't want to call him a genius while he's beating us. So, you know, and being the national champ, but I think Kirby is a defensive level genius that was being recognized by Nick and, and that, you know, for the long-term health of the program, it, it was the right thing to do. I think Kevin Steele was fairly fairly high on the the radar. Like I, I don't think that they had to go far down their list and settle for a guy like yeah. Kevin Steele. I really don't. Yeah. I think he fits kind of what Nick Saban was looking for. But you know, people that are talking about some of these other guys make sense. Think about the big three, right? You had Jimmy Pruitt, the NCAA obviously standing in the way on that front, and, and you've got to deal with some backlash and some headache. If you go ahead and make that hire anyways, um, especially when you don't know exactly what's going to be handed down to Jeremy Pruitt. So that's a problem, a, an obstacle that was standing in the way. You look at Glenn Schumann, there's a commitment to Kirby Smart, right? I mean, right. And, and he's going to be rewarded for, for staying loyal to Kirby, but he's doing good things. He's a couple of years away from being a head coach, in my opinion, and in your opinion as well. Uh, do you really want to rock the boat and, and go take over, you know, Nick Saban and Alabama's defense when it's possible that they're on the decline? It's like uh, you see it all the time, kind of the rising giant in the business or the industry, or that's the way or direction that it's heading. You know, you wouldn't want to go jump ship for the one that's been the, the Titan, but might be starting to, to, you know, falter a little bit. And then the third one, which was Jim Leonard, which I think we all like from a defensive mind, he's never been – in the sec footprint he's only ever been at wisconsin as far as being a player as far as being a coach and there's a lot of smoke about him wanting to not coach in college anymore moving to the nfl and you're seeing that a ton with these coaches with the headache that is college football with nil and the way that it operates and everything else and and the schedule you know year-round 12 month 365 day schedule it's just not as appealing as the nfl schedule is so you know, I think it's very possible that Leonard ends up on an NFL defensive staff, whether that be as a defensive coordinator or he has to take a position, you know, be a position coach at first and then make that transition later. You know, I just think that I don't think he was a very viable option as well. So then you start pivoting and saying, okay, who else is out there? And everybody wants like the Jimmy Lakes and stuff like that. Like they want to go, you know, the same route that they've gone as far as getting former head coaches and everything else. And it's like Kevin Steele 
you know, Jimmy, the numbers don't necessarily reflect it everywhere he's been, but he's had really good defenses and he has had elements that he's really developed guys and he and he's, has a good track record. Everybody wants the the Jeremy Pruitts where it's like, oh man, he had a defense in the top five every year, you know, and, and he just, no matter where he went, just the defense turned into gold. And, you know, at a place like Auburn, they haven't recruited the talent where you can lose some of the defenders that they did. You can't lose Derek Brown and and Marlon Davidson and Jeff Holland and all these different guys and, and just be able to, to continue to maintain elite defensive play, uh, especially under an offensive-minded head coach like Gus Malzahn, who didn't really, you know, they, they signed good defensive recruits, but it wasn't nearly at the rate as, same rate as Alabama. So it's just I feel like he kind of gets an unfair rap for the numbers, and I don't think that's I don't think it tells the whole story. Oh, I agree totally. And hey, what what Kevin Steele did, it would be different if we were talking about what Kevin Steele did at Auburn 15 years ago. But this is highly recently. This is 2016, 17, 18, 19, and 20. I mean, this is just we're just two seasons removed from what Kevin Steele did at Auburn and his consistency, particularly 16 through 19. His consistency was outstanding when you factor in their talent level. I mean, th- this was a top 19, I think, defense every single year, top 10 a couple times in the toughest conference in, the le- in, in America. And he just didn't have the talent level, not only that Alabama has, but he wasn't as good talent-wise as Georgia, LSU, Tennessee, Florida, uh, probably not even, honestly, A&M and Arkansas sometimes. Uh, and still outperformed most of those schools year after year after year. Uh, what he did at Auburn was extremely impressive, and it was consistent. Now, has Kevin Steele been consistently great throughout his entire 30-plus year uh, coaching experience? No, no, he has. And we, we know that he, he gave up 70 at Clemson once, and when he was a head coach at Baylor, that didn't go well at all. Uh you know, his career hasn't been one raging success after another, but man, if you're limiting your list to that, I mean, who, who is out there? Like, like nobody, (laughs) you know, nobody hireable. Um, So very recently, Kevin Steele was a defensive coordinator in this league, in this state. And I I would say his performance at Auburn over that four or five year period was outstanding. Uh, and, And he'll have better players and better coaches and better support uh, all around him than what he had at Auburn. In that sense, we should be really excited about this. If Kevin Steele would have had a top five defense every year, like fans expect and want, he wouldn't be Alabama's defensive coordinator right now. He'd be a head coach somewhere. That's the bottom line, especially if you do it at a place like Alabama or LSU. Uh, Alabama has been the dominant program. Their two biggest rivals, or at least two of their three biggest rivals, Auburn and LSU. You know, part of that those t- two program struggles is that they keep getting the mess kicked out of them by Alabama. And and granted, Auburn kind of will go back and forth, and they'll have a good year against Alabama uh, in the Iron Bowl and stuff. But LSU, I mean, they they lost what eight years in a row. You know that they really struggled. And so, when you're going against them as your biggest obstacle. I mean, Nick Saban for the longest was going down into Louisiana and just plucking any and everybody you really wanted. You know, I, I did some research and I'm doing this in five-year increments um, just because, you know, I, that's kind of not only was was uh, Kevin still at Auburn for five years, 2016 to 2020, 
So he had some talent, you know, that was left over from the previous recruiting classes, but I'm really just breaking it down to make it easy, you know, to, to paint this picture for people. But from 20, um, let's see, 2020 to 2016, so over a five-year period, Auburn signed seven top 100 defensive players total. Uh, while he was the defensive coordinator at Clemson from 2009 to 2011, so you take 2007 to 2011, Clemson, seven top 100 defensive players during that entire five-year period. At LSU, from tw- 2011 to 2015, when he was the defense coordinator in 2015, so a lot of these players were on Kevin Steele's roster. Uh, while he was the, the defensive coordinator, they had nine. Alabama, from 2019 to 2023, is at 36. So, and, and 26 of those are expected to be on the roster in 2023. So this is what we talk about when we say Kevin Still now has access to more talent than he has had at any of his previous stops. And don't get me wrong, LSU, when you look at, at the, the roster they had, Arden Key was fantastic. Um, you know, you had Deion Jones, Kendall Beckwith, you know, Tredavious White, Kevin Tolliver, Jamal Adams, you know, Dante Jackson. So they they had talent. I'm not saying that they lacked that. They still, you know, had plenty of to work with. But from just the recruiting and the young talent coming in and the access to the transfer portal guys when you need to fill holes or gaps, it's just it's a whole different ballgame than anywhere he's been as a defense coordinator ever, including Alabama in 2007 before the ball really started to get rolling. That's that's really exciting. Those numbers are jaw-dropping and super interesting. Uh, it is a, a, a talented group. He'll be... He'll be inheriting at Alabama. Uh, at the same time, Clint, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to start uh, on Bama Insider today a, a ranking of, of the of the spring roster, uh, not including the uh, freshmen incoming from. Not including them. I'm just talking the returning players from last year's team, uh, plus the two uh, transfer portal guys who have played significant ball in college. Uh, I'm starting a ranking of those guys, and I think what we're going to and I've really worked on those rankings for about two weeks, and because I want to get it just right, or at least right as far as I see it. And and I hope people do disagree and 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 debate and tell me I have it wrong. I I, I would enjoy reading that. But um I think we're gonna see, Clint, that really in terms of returning veteran talent, maybe it's not what we're accustomed to at Alabama. I think it's not there's not a lot of huge stars. Now Kool-Aid McKinstry and Dallas Turner are likely to be on a lot of preseason All-American teams. So now they're typical of uh Saban freaks, uh first round draft picks, even though they're true juniors. Uh, but beyond those two, I wouldn't say Alabama has a lot of question marks so much as it's just maybe not as much superstar talent as Alabama is used to 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 returning. Uh, in a year where there's just two guys that you would say have earned superstar status. But what I'm excited about and bringing Kevin Steele's part of that, Clint, is so many guys are close to that. Like you can see a Jaheim Otis becoming that. You can see Tim Smith and Justin Aboigby becoming NFL players. You can see Deontay Lawson on the verge of being a star. Chris Braswell on the verge of being a star. Um, Caleb Downs showing up as a true freshman and maybe showing up a freshman All-American type. Malachi Moore, uh, who has played like a star at times, getting it back. So there are pieces in place and guys here who are so close, they just need further development. And then I think Alabama will have 
the typical Nick Saban defense. Uh, we know Dallas Turner's great. We know Kool-Aid's great. So many players close to being great. I think a real challenge for Kevin Steele is how do I how do I push these guys and get them one step better? And, and that means greatness for several of those guys. Jimmy, um, I, I don't know where it would be, um, but I'm fairly certain I could go back to a lot of our podcast that we were doing together a year ago, and we were saying the same thing about Alabama's offense last year. It, everything pretty much that you just said. You had Bryce Young. You felt like Jameer Gibbs was going to be that guy. He kind of already was that guy, just had a small program. But Alabama, whether it be their offensive line, where was the star power coming from? You had lost Evan Neal. A lot of good players. You know, a lot of potential players, but they weren't there yet. J.C. Latham was not J.C. Latham. He was a five-star player who had played a little bit, but no starting experience. He didn't look locked down in the spring. You know, things like that. You looked at Jermaine Burton, and you're like, okay, we think this guy's going to become a really good player. So far, he hadn't really been that guy yet. Ja'Cory Brooks, uh, all these freshmen coming in. Cameron Latou, really good player, but and you saw the offense take a step back relative to, you know, the star power. Now, the offensive line took a huge step forward, but really the skill positions and stuff, you know, I think Alabama feels a lot better about it because they've addressed it. They addressed the offensive line. That was kind of the priority going into last year. We got to get star power back here. You know, we got to get first round talent. And I think with J.C. Latham, with Tyler Booker, I think Elijah Pritchett's going to be, you know, a potential future day one, day two draft pick. I think that, you know, Caden Proctor is coming in as a guy who we all expect to eventually be a first-round pick. Uh, Seth McLaughlin is going to be on an NFL roster someday, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, that was addressed in the receivers. You know, I think Malik Benson has potential star power. Not there yet. Hadn't proven it on the SEC level or the the FBS level. You know, you've got other guys, Isaiah Bond and Kobe Prentice and and all these different players who have potential star power. And it's a matter of can they continue to find or get back on the right path? Defensively, you know, there might not be as much star power this year that's known going into the year as there was last year and in some previous years. But, you know, I think that there's enough there where you've got to feel good about their options. And we'll just see. One thing about it, um, Bill O'Brien, in my opinion, Eric Wolford, he got the most out of his group. You know, Holman Wiggins, I don't think he got the most out of his group that he had last year. Uh, Bill O'Brien, as a, a an offensive coordinator, I don't think he got the most out of that group. I'm hoping that Nick Saban and Kevin Steele and guys like our Austin Armstrong and stuff, that they can get the most out of these players because if they can, you are, even though they've lost some star power on that side of the football, I still think they're going to be a really good defense to take a step forward because they're going to have an offense that complements that and takes them out of bad position. Oh, I, I, I like it. And uh, I like the the uh, comparison you made to like last year's offense versus this year's defense because while it's true that, that we lacked star power in offense going into last year and, and maybe the offense didn't always perform as well as people would like to see or, or as great as people would like to see, uh, they were they did end up being what the fourth highest scoring offense in college football. It was the fourth highest scoring group. So even without the star power, and even even uh, you know, I, I think I think Alabama did a good job, not perfect job, but a good job of coaching up that group into what by any measure was a highly productive group. Now, 
you know, they didn't play great against Texas. They didn't play great against LSU. He had to work around Bryce's shoulder uh, from about, you know, the Arkansas game on, you know, until the bowl game when he was fine again. Um, and and def defensively, that's, that's the charge for Kevin Steele. Can he do sort of what Alabama did last year on offense, which was, hey, didn't have a lot of star power going into this thing. But by the end of the year, it was still a really productive group built around the stars that they did have, you know. So uh, it, it's a challenge every year. It's what I love about college football is the turnover. I enjoy having a new cast of characters every single year on offense and defense. That's fun. New guys. And while the defense under Kevin Steele, in terms of what he's inheriting, maybe only has two true stars in Kool-Aid and Dallas, uh, I think we both agree that that that's just as it looks today. It's going to look a lot different at the end of next season when we're probably raving about who knows who, but probably guys like Otis and Deontay Lawson or Caleb Downs, uh, who I have really high hopes for as a true freshman, uh, maybe even, you know, who knows who. But as you pointed out with your numbers earlier in the show, uh, it won't be for lack of bodies. Uh, Alabama's, what you said, I think you said 32 uh, top 100 guys. 36. That, uh, 36 uh, on defense alone. Uh, stunning, a stunning number. And, and and you can't tell me you can't cobble together a group out of that, uh, out of that talent level. Yeah. And, and that's just top 100 players. I mean, there are always guys that sit outside the top 100 who end up making a bigger impact than you would think. Um, Alabama's had that a lot over the years. And so, yeah, there's, there's plenty of talent to work with. Let's talk a little bit about the offensive coordinator, you know, defensive coordinator. We, we've talked a lot about that, you know, on, on YouTube and, and stuff like that. But for those who really only listen to the Bama on three show, they haven't really gotten our thoughts on that front. Jimmy, I like the hire. I really do. I, because, and this is the way I've described it. Take Tommy Reese's name out of it and just try to get back and think about from a core principle standpoint, what did Nick Saban want from his next offensive coordinator? What did he want his offensive identity to be? What did he want the offensive philosophy to be? And to me, it's about being more physical, being more balanced. And I'm not talking about balance where you call one, one run play, one pass play. It's 50-50. I'm talking about you being an actual threat to throw the football and you're at an actual threat to run the football effectively and consistently that that is balance and and just you know they've had a commitment to the run game as far as the number of runs they've called under Bill O'Brien like it was definitely close enough where you could say that that's pretty balanced but you never felt like this past year that on a snap in snap out basis if Alabama had to hammer the football at you to beat you that they were going to be able to do it if they you know were scoring points and trying to keep your offense off the field long sustained drives to give their defense a break you never felt confident that they were going to be able to do it there's various points throughout the year where their defense needed a break and they couldn't get it you know it was a three and out or it was one first down and then you were punting the football there wasn't too many times where you had to have that long sustained drive that Alabama was able to provide that offensively and it constantly put the defense under strain and that's where I think that you can kind of get back to you know being more physical getting off the bus and beating teams mentally before you ever even step on the field. Like, you haven't seen that from Alabama's offense in the last few years. And I think Nick Saban, you know, he wants to get back to that a little bit. Yeah, and I think the challenge for Tommy Reese is this, and, uh, man, I, I look forward to talking about it all summer and then seeing it in action in the fall, is, you know, starting, let, let's say, right about Mike Loxley, you know, in 2018, uh, which was really 
I'm going to call it Mike Loxley, but really it's Tua uh, in 2018. When, when you get a, a quarterback of that talent, you can build, you know, a great passing offense around this, this unreal next level talent. And then Alabama had that not only with Tua, but then with Mac and then with, with, with Bryce three in a row, next level, first round passers. Uh, and, and Alabama built a really explosive offense around all three and going back to 2018, I would be shocked if there's been any team in college football that has scored more points in Alabama since 2018 cumulatively. Uh, Alabama has scored really, uh, I, I would think over that period of time, Clint, somewhere in the mid-40s, 40, 43, 45 points a game going all the way back to 2018. So with Tommy Reese, I think the, his charge, and this is going to be hard, this is going to be tricky, this is real graduate-level stuff, Clint, is uh, graduate school-level stuff, is – how do you keep the explosiveness? How do you keep that average at, in that 40 range, which, which gives the defense and everybody such cushion? How do you keep it that there when what you really want to do is start running the ball and being more physical and being a little more ball control? All these things that will help the defense and help the team. It's almost like Tommy Reese doesn't have to improve the offense he has to improve the team. And I think you can do that by just creating more physicality on offense that's going to bleed to the defense. And now the defense is practicing against a real physical offense every day, and it just toughens up the whole program. Because running the ball, I've always said this for years, going back to the Gene Stallings days, Clint, is running the ball is not a play call. You don't call a play. You don't say, hey, we're going to run the ball, so you call run plays. No, running the ball is a program-wide commitment it's a commitment to this is the type of team we're going to be it's not just the play call from the booth it's we're the team's going to run the ball and keep the ball and make first downs and own the clock so how does tommy reese add physicality get alabama back to being more mtaq as, as they say we need to get back in that direction but at the same time you don't want to go from averaging 44 points a game since 2018 down to 33 points a game. And, and, and now all the games are pretty close, you know, uh, because we're not scoring in bunches. Uh, how is Reese going to make it more physical, but at the same time still score sufficiently uh, like they've clearly done since 2018? Well, here's the thing. I think it's all about efficiency, Right, because if you have seven, eight minute drives offensively, you're going to put up less points a game. You're also going to prevent the opposing offense from putting up as many points as you've been giving up. I mean, that's just you know basic. If you stop them at the same rate, but they're getting less drives because you have a lot more long sustaining drives, their points per game is going to go down as well. So you're kind of banking on your efficiency staying roughly the same. When we touch the football, how often are we scoring the football? If that can stay relatively the same, and even if your defensive efficiency numbers stay relatively the same, which I think they're actually going to go up because you're giving them long sustained breaks, you're allowing them to really, you know, get a good. They get to get on the sidelines and really start figuring out, okay, what is the offense trying to do? What are what are we going to do to combat that? Like if you're only on the on the sidelines for a couple of minutes, you don't have much time to react. It takes you a lot longer to start figuring things out. When you can hop over there for 10, 15, 20 minutes before you have to go back out onto the field, like when you include commercials and all that stuff. Or, or clock stoppage, 
then, you know, you look at a situation where it's like, okay, we've, we've been able to figure some things out. We've gotten our, our breaks, your rotation and stuff. You, you don't have to work into that quite as much. You can play guys higher percentage of the snaps um, because they're not playing as many snaps as they typically would. So I think that's really the, the key for me is just making sure that your efficiency numbers stay relatively the same. When you touch the football, put the ball in the end zone or, you know, put points on the board in some, you know, shape, form or fashion. Um, red zone offense, I think is going to be key, you know, because if your defense, cause there's going to be certain games where they're going to give up points, that's just part of it. Um, so you're going to need to continue to score touchdowns. And when you're not as explosive, you know, the, the red zone becomes that much more important because you're built, you know, moving the football incrementally down the field more than you are. I still think Alabama's going to have plenty of explosive plays, both in the run game and the passing game. I'm not saying that I'm really worried about it on that front, but just, the reason I think it's so important is, and I've talked about this before recently, it's zigging when everybody else is zagging. And it's what Georgia's done. Uh, everybody else has put more of a commitment towards getting smaller on the defensive side of the football, being able to spread out, getting better athletes, guys that can get sideline to sideline. And that's great for 80% of your schedule, 90% of your schedule. But then you run into the Georgias of the world. And they just hammer the football at you with a big physical offensive line, a nice stable of running backs, a quarterback that can play off of that. You're utilizing the tight ends a ton. And it's like you're just not used to to that style of offense anymore. And and really just you're, you get beat up, and you're not used to getting hit in the mouth over and over and over like that. You're used to, hey, am I in shape enough to run sideline to sideline 75 times this game? Georgia, they wear you out in a different way. And so I think that that's more of what Alabama's – wanting to get back to is more of that style where they can say, okay, uh, you want to get, you know, 240 pound defensive ends essentially out there on the edges. We'll, we'll run off tackle all game and we'll have plenty of success doing it. That's exactly right. Zigging when everyone else is zagging us, everybody, including Alabama has embraced this offensive revolution, the up-tempo, the spread, the throw it, the throw it, the throw it, the 92nd possession that results in a three and out or a touchdown. You know, I think everybody's embraced that. You know who didn't embrace that at any point? Kirby Smart in Georgia. They never really embraced the offensive revolution. And by the way, early on, before they were stacking up national titles, their fans were upset about it. Their fans didn't like that. Kirby, everybody else is doing this. Everybody, look at what Alabama's scoring. We, we can't score with these people. But he stayed the course. He committed to what he knew would work. Now they're stacking national titles, doing it differently than all the other big-time programs. And you know what? Kirby's doing it like Nick used to do it. And I think Alabama might be well-served copying Georgia, who's really copying Alabama. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and I sort of feel like that's where we're at. It's like, hey, we, we, we were standard bears. We did change what we do. It did work. It resulted in a national championship. It resulted in an SEC championship. It resulted in a lot of wins and a lot of excitement and a couple of Heismans. But are we where Georgia is right now? Probably not, and that's because Georgia remained committed to being physical on offense, uh, and they never stopped being physical on defense. As a result, their offense and their defense together form a team, and, and I think that's what Alabama's been missing a little bit. We want our defense to be 2011 tough, but we're out there playing seven-on-seven seven football on offense, and, and, and the defense isn't tough, or it's not as tough as it was. And it's very difficult, I think. I challenge people all the time, find me a dominant defense where that same team on offense runs 
up-tempo spread, throw it, throw it, throw it, 90-second possessions. You can't find it because it doesn't exist. Uh, that, that, that's why I, I think that's what Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele are going to do, Clint. That's bring back more physicality, not abandon what we've been doing that works, but just bring back a little more physicality to, to things. And I've told everybody that, that will listen, what Georgia has done offensively does not mean that your your quarterback recruiting is going to decrease and your your production at that position and in the passing game is going to decrease. Uh, Stetson Bennett just went to New York as a Heisman finalist, as a walk-on quarterback after throwing for 4,000-plus yards. Like You can still have everything else, and the recruiting is going to take care of itself because one thing, you know, you might not be playing the Lane Kiffin's offense or Lincoln Riley's offense or Steve Sarkeesian's offense, but one thing that you know going to Georgia as an elite quarterback recruit, you're going to have a good offensive line in front of you to keep you protected. You're going to have a complimentary defense that's very opportunistic that's going to be able to, you know, take as much pressure off of you on a on a drive-to-drive -drive basis, and you're going to have a stable of running backs that you can rely on to run the football effectively and take more pressure off of you as a result. There won't be nearly as much on a quarterback's shoulders in that style of offense, but when the when it really matters, they're going to get opportunities to shine. Stetson Bennett had plenty this year where you know the, the defense wasn't getting things done, or you know it was kind of it was a different style of game, and Stetson Bennett had to be the guy to help win it. Uh, there were also games like Kentucky where it's like I mean just zero offensive success for Kentucky and. Stetson Bennett didn't have to go out there and do a ton. And so it's, it's complimentary football. You give yourself more options and more ways to win. Your defense can win you games. Your run game can win you games. And your quarterback can win you games. It's not, hey, if Bryce Young ain't effective, if, if Bryce Young hurts his shoulder, we're in big trouble because our defense isn't great at stopping people. We don't have a run offense, you know, rushing offense that we can rely on. They put Jalen Milrow in there and, 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 and Jameer Gibbs and him kind of took over and, and had that rushing element and it was pretty dominant. It was a different kind of dominant, but they did have a lot of success because they didn't have that passing element. But they didn't have the defense this year like they should have. Um, so you know, I've, we've kind of run long here. we got less than a minute before this thing runs out. We're back on the Zoom doing it this way. But, Jimmy, this has been a ton of fun. I appreciate you hopping on here with me, and uh, we will do this again soon, buddy. We'll do it again soon. My favorite subject to talk about. Absolutely, yeah. But we still got a lot to talk about with the coordinators, so we're not done here. And we'll also be talking about, uh, you know, Kevin Still and the defensive depth chart projections and stuff more, you know, coming up soon. So we appreciate you guys tuning in. This is the Bam on Three Show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb.